Please note, in this episode we will be discussing the details of historical crimes and executions, which some listeners may find upsetting. The whole aspect of justice was public, and it was very, very popular. This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts, the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums, and today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. Today's object seems innocuous at first, a list of prices, but through it we're examining one of the darker aspects of Lancaster's history. It relates to the city's prominent position in crime and punishment for Lancashire. Today's object is a document listing the costs for an execution at Lancaster Castle in 1834. The document does not look important or official. It measures 15 centimetres by 12 centimetres and it is not on headed paper or an official form. Instead, it is quite an informal scrap of paper with a simple list of prices on it. Across the top is written Lancaster Castle and the date of the execution, 6th of September 1834. Below are listed the officials who presided over the case and then a list of expenses for them and other attendants at the execution of John Hayes. There are many people mentioned, including the undersheriffs, the hangman, the constable, those in the chapel, and it even mentions that two men called Redhead and Kirkham were paid to take down the bodies. The accommodation and expenses for the people attending cost £1.15. We can also see that an additional eight pence was spent on a cap. It is hard to translate the value of money from year to year, as many factors affect inflation and actual worth of money. However, in 1834, it would take some of the lower paid workers, like agricultural workers, about two weeks to earn £1.15. We spoke to Colin Penny, museum manager at Lancaster Castle, who started by telling us a little bit more about the trial of John Hayes, and a curious piece of graffiti still visible at the castle, which is linked to the trial. We don't know anything about the background of, of John Hayes, but he was accused and found guilty of the crime of rape, the rape of his 16-year-old niece. He was sentenced uh, to death. The judge at the trial was Lord Lyndhurst, who actually became a very, very famous Tory politician. There is a piece of graffiti written on a rail in what was the ladies' gallery. The Ladies' Gallery in the Crown Court was exactly what it sounds like. It's, it was a specific gallery raised up above the court in which richer, more wealthier, more well-to-do ladies were given special seats so they didn't have to sit with the other people who were watching the trial. And it's actually an I with a line through the centre of it. Uh, that's a J. Bond, so J Bond, August 1834. So somebody who was sat in the ladies' gallery during that size session, which would have lasted a fortnight, so it's not guaranteed that they were watching this particular trial, but it's certainly linked with that size session, and uh, Jay Bond, whoever she was, was, was watching at the time. 
So if Jay Bond and others were watching the trial, does that mean that it was watched by many other members of the public? Justice had to be seen to be done. It was public in the sense of the trial and in, in many aspects until well into the 19th century it was public in terms of the punishment. A public execution until 1868 when public executions were abolished or public flogging, putting the stocks, the pillory. The whole aspect of justice was public and it was very, very popular. Not just the criminal trials, the place would be packed to the gunnels for those, but also the civil trials. People arguing over money or divorce or, you know, it's where the scandal was in that courtroom, which was the Shire Hall at Lancaster Castle. So, so yeah, both of those aspects of justice were extremely popular. Lancaster would be very busy during the Assizes. Wealthier people who perhaps for the majority of the time lived in the country would also have a townhouse. Those townhouses would be reoccupied, there would be parties, there'd be balls, like a, almost a, a party atmosphere when the Assizes were in town, which is why in 1835 when Liverpool got their own Assizes and Lancaster lost, if you like, the southern half of the county to Liverpool, it was seen as a disaster, both in terms of the entertainment value of it, if you like, but also the commercial aspect. Lancaster lost a lot of money uh, from that. And when the judges left Lancaster on the, the session prior to the opening of the Liverpool one, all the church bells tolled in mourning. Colin went on to tell us what would have happened on the day that John Hayes was executed and why knowing this explains the cost for a cap. It was a public execution at Hanging Corner, which is an area of the castle opposite the Priory Church. Executions were usually at midday, and in the period leading up to that, from the early hours, say about six o'clock in the morning, the crowds would start to arrive. The average execution at Lancaster pulled in around about 8,000 people on average, from all over the county. People sometimes from the area where the person being hanged came from, but also just people coming to Lancaster out of curiosity. Locals, schools, some of them were given the day off school so that the, the scholars could be taken to watch the execution. And for the uh, what was considered the moral lesson, you know, this is what happens if you misbehave or, you know, break the law or whatever. At 12 o'clock midday, the uh, death bell would toll in the castle, which was in the gatehouse, and the door leading from the drop room adjacent to Hanging Corner out onto the scaffold at Hanging Corner would open and the condemned would be led out, usually in the company of the under-sheriff of the county and the governor of the jail and a minister of religion of whichever religion the person was affiliated with. Some would talk to the crowd. We don't know if John Hayes did. Some would speak to the crowd, plead with the crowd, in many cases to see their demise as a lesson. Don't do what I did. It was much more rare for a person to continue to protest their innocence. And that was always seen as something of great significance if they did, because they were about to meet their maker. To lie right at that point the feeling in the crowd would be, oh, gosh, would you really lie? You know, now if they continued to protest their innocence, that was usually seen as a, as quite significant. But most would, would, you know, say goodbye to their friends and relatives. They would throw things off into the crowd. Anything that was valuable, they still had on them, boots, shoes, money, any jewellery. They got rid of it, sometimes to the relatives. There was nobody to the crowd because the law said anything you were hanged in once you were dead belonged to the hangman. And rather than let that happen, they would get rid of it. And then they would be hanged using, in John Hayes's case, uh, the short drop 
method. The cap would be a, a kind of hood that was pulled down over the face of the person who was being hanged. Many people believe that the, the hood, if you like, or the cap was so that the person being hanged didn't have to look at the crowd. It's actually the other way around. It's so the crowd didn't have to look at their face, which would become terribly twisted and distorted and be very, very upsetting to watch if it wasn't covered with a hood. Using the short drop method would have meant that the prisoner would have taken some time to die. Colin explained why the authorities used this method when more humane methods were available to them. The short drop was simply a person who was stood under a beam with a length of chain hanging down from that onto which the noose, which had a hook on it, was, was hooked. The, the chain had a ring on the end, the noose had a hook, and one went through the other. From the bottom of the beam to the bottom of the noose was usually around two to three feet. It was very short. The uh, condemned person was stood on a bucket or a chair. The uh, hangman would put the hood over their head. They would shake their hand, symbol of no hard feelings, it's not personal. And then they would kick the bucket. And they would fall, but not very far, so it didn't break the neck. Weight played a big role in this. The heavier a person was, the quicker they would succumb. However, much also depended on the skill of the hangman and how the rope was placed. If it was placed correctly around the neck, it was quicker. If it was placed more under the chin, it was slower. So it really depended on the skill of the hangman, the weight of the person being hanged. And let's face it, in the later 18th and early 19th century, there were all, an awful lot of people who weren't as well nourished as they should have been and so tended to be on the lighter end of the scale. We don't know what John Hayes' physique was, but in all probability, he wouldn't have had a quick death, which is why they left people to hang for one hour. And there are instances of people lasting 45, 50 minutes. If you survived the hour, you could go free. Because the sentence had been carried out, you had been hanged, you just weren't dead. And if you did survive the hour, you were taken down, and you could just walk free. Well, initially, it, it was the only method that they knew about. But once you get into the, certainly into the 19th century, for sure, the idea of using a longer rope and a longer drop was known. Army surgeons, for example, had been saying, you know, there is a much quicker method if you use this calculation, which was based on height and weight you can then determine how far a person has to fall with a rope around their neck to break the fifth cervical vertebra in order to guarantee a almost instantaneous death. Later methods actually went for the second cervical vertebra, which is even quicker, but nevertheless, that's what was being said. But the authorities didn't bring it in. Some hangmen, like William Marwood, were using it independently before it became official policy, if you like. But in the vast majority of cases, hangmen like William Calcraft, they were still using the short drop. And they do get a lot of negative press for doing that. But really, it's not their fault because they were employed by the authorities. 
And if the authorities wanted them to use the long drop, the authorities could have simply said, you will use the long drop. And if you won't use the long drop, you're not going to be the hangman anymore. We'll get someone who will. The point was they didn't. Because until 1868, hanging was a public spectacle. And to a degree, I think there was probably a belief that if it was seen to be too quick, it wouldn't be as much of a deterrent to people committing crime as if somebody something more horrific, like the short drop where somebody's really struggling and kicking. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that after 1868, suddenly you get, we'll use the long drop. We must use the long drop because now it's private. And there's no, if you like, other aspect feeding into it that there's a big crowd that's going to see this. And, uh, and, and I think that's why you get the switch. And that's why people like William Calcraft become suddenly very outdated. Once you get past 1868, they, they want to carry on using the shit because it's what they've always done, but the authorities don't want them to. And eventually people like him got paid off and retired and all that. And I think that's the reason why uh, we have the short drop predominantly until 1868 and then the long drop after. We asked Colin what would have happened to Hayes after he was hanged and where would people executed at the castle be buried? There are two possibilities for this. The first is that his body was given to the surgeons for dissection. Once you get the 1832 Anatomy Act, certainly the bodies of murderers were given over to the surgeons to practice on. With Hayes, it's not certain because, A, he wasn't a murderer. However, his crime was particularly appalling. And it wouldn't surprise me if his body had been given over to the surgeons anyway. That said, he did have a family. He had a wife and he had children. His wife petitioned three times for a reprieve, for him not to be executed. But that was overturned. The judge said the law must run its course, which it did. The other possibility is that he is buried within the perimeter of Lancaster Castle, possibly under what is now the small car park at the back of the castle. A lot of people who were executed at Hanging Corner, certainly before 1832, are buried under there. However, the Anatomy Act also said that after executions from that time, bodies should be buried within the walls of the prison, which means it's quite possible that he's in what's now known as Execution Yard, inside the castle walls, but we don't know for sure. We also wanted to find out more about another key figure at the execution, the hangman. So to finish, Colin told us about Thomas Pennington and how public executions came to an end in the UK. Thomas Pennington was a turnkey, or as we would say today, a prison officer. So he was a member of the castle staff who volunteered, presumably, to also act as hangman. The Penningtons uh, were a family that have a, or had a long association with the prison. Uh, a number of uh, family members served as prison officers or matrons, both male and female. Until the arrival of the railways, invariably the hangman was local. Once the railways reach the provinces, they would quite often employ someone to come in and do it, invariably the London hangman. So someone like William Calcraft, who was hangman in London from 1829 until 1874. He travelled all over the country, as far flung as, as Cornwall and Aberdeen. And yes, he worked in Lancaster, working for other people when he wasn't working in his day job, if you like. And he, he charged a fee, £10 a hanging, and there were discounts if you had more than one. The last 
public execution was in 1868. A man called Michael Barrett, who was Athenian, who was executed by William Calcraft. And then, following that, laws were passed relating to both prisons and punishment generally. So transportation to the colonies came to an end in 1868. Public executions came to an end in 1868, part and parcel of that. The last execution in Britain was on the 13th of August 1964, Peter Allen and Gwyn Evans, and then the death penalty was abolished in 1965. A few crimes did remain on the statute book as capital offences, piracy on the high seas, setting fire to a royal dockyard, and high treason, but nobody was subsequently tried of those offences before the last vestiges of, of the death penalty throughout the EU were got rid of in the year 2000. Thank you for joining us for another episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. Please listen to some of our other episodes where we talk about everything from archaeology to auroras, 